little bit of audience participation here. Raise your hand if you've ever held the door for someone. All right. Good. I saw some ladies' hands. That's right. This is not just a guy thing, right? I mean, I've, I've seen daughters hold the door for their mothers. I've, I've seen a lady hold the door for a man who was just carrying a bunch of donut boxes. Um, that man was not me. It could have been me, but it was not me carrying a bunch of donut boxes. But I, I've seen lots of people hold doors in lots of different places at lots of different times for people. This week there's an article out asking the question, is it good for men to keep holding the door open for women in this modern age? Now, the article is, is set down into Washington, D.C., though. So, so all of the questions surrounded people living in the D.C. area. And one of those people was Jack. Jack's 23. He's a consultant in D.C., and this is what he said. Where I grew up in the South, it was expected that I hold open doors, but it seems to put people in D.C. on edge. People in the Northeast think it's a trap or something. <laughs> An act of kindness turns in, into a trap. That's so interesting. One day there was a man who raised his hand in a crowd of people. And he had a question about a door. And the answer to his question put some people on edge. Some people thought that it was just a, a mean trap. That this answer could not have been a good answer. It's, it's just a mean trap. There were some other people, they, they just thought that the answer to that question was just a bunch of baloney, nothing to really believe in. Other people, when they heard the answer to the question, their blood boiled. They, they were angry. They were mad. And then there were some people that they heard the answer to that question, and their hearts were full of joy. So what was the question, and what was the answer? And what does it have to do with you? Why does this question and this answer matter in your life in this room before you hear at the end of this message? Why does this question and this answer matter in your life before you leave the building today? Well, it matters because this question and this answer are the two most important realities in the universe. <laughs> kind of over the top, right? Sounds, sounds way out there. Well, it should because it is. What we're about to talk about, what we're about to look at, is more important than your marriage. It's more important than your kids or your grandkids. It's more important than your education or your job. It's more important than your favorite team or your favorite hobby or your favorite holiday. It's more important than your health, more important than your retirement, more important than your church, more important than your country. That's a pretty big deal. What in the world could possibly be that important? Well, if it is that important, then I would plead with you to be sure you got your ears on. Because this is something Jesus wants us to hear. Listen, Luke 13, beginning with verses 22 and 23. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? So some random guy raises his hand and says, Hey, Jesus, i got a question. So, so are just a few people going to be saved? So was this a church guy? You know, a guy who had already 
you know, prayed the prayer and, and, and joined the church and been baptized, and he kind of said, well, I know I'm in the few, so I just kind of want to make sure my status gets out there. Or was this a non-church guy? You know, somebody who looked at all the church people, saw all the things the church people did and said, boy, I, I could never do those things. I could never live up to that model. I wonder if there's anywhere in the kingdom of God for me. I wonder if there's any way for me to be saved. We don't know. Luke just says that some guy asked a question. And he asked a question about the, the number of people that were going to be saved. And so what does it mean to be saved? And why does anyone need to be saved? Well, this is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. If you are not saved, Jesus says that your soul will perish. It, it will be lost. It will be destroyed. What does that mean? <laughs> that sounds like a, a nice idea if we're talking hard theology. Okay, so your, your soul is going to perish. What does that mean? Well, this side of death, we, we can't have really have a complete answer. But if we, if we take everything that we see in the Bible... We can kind of answer part of what it means for a soul to perish. Maybe a little bit like this. For your soul to perish means that the parts of your soul that were created to enjoy love and hope and peace and joy and satisfaction, those parts would be destroyed. And your soul then would be left to only function with the categories of pain and agony and anguish. So, so this picture that Jesus paints is it's not a pretty picture. See, for your soul to perish means that your soul goes dark. It goes terrifyingly dark. It goes eternally dark. And why would a person's soul go dark? Why would a person's soul even perish? How would that even happen? This is how Paul put it. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now look, all of us can fight against this statement. We can. We can go, I don't know. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a high bar, you know. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. But here's the thing. If we're really honest with ourselves, if we really look back over our life, and we look to the future, we know that when it comes to being a perfectly good person, we, we fall short. We, we miss that mark. We don't have what we need to finish that race. See, we know we're not God. We know we don't always do everything right. And so we know there's much truth in this. And so falling short, God gives a definition to that. He calls it sin. He calls this falling short sin. So sin would be anything that we say or think or do that falls short of the universal standard of holiness that only exists with God. So what's the consequence of missing that universal standard? Paul goes on to the Romans and says this, For the wages of sin is death. So a soul perishes because of sin... The wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. 
So therefore, the kind of death that we're talking about is the kind of death that causes a soul to perish. And if this still sounds like kind of church language, let me see if I can shift us with some modern-day terminology. John Piper says this, The reason we need a Savior is not just that we are in the doghouse with God and we need to be forgiven for offending His glory. We need a Savior because we're in the morgue. So that's how the Scripture describes it. We are dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. Piper goes on. In the doghouse, you might whimper. You might say you are sorry. You might make some good resolutions. You might decide to cast yourself on the mercy of God. But what can you do if you're in the morgue? See, to be saved is to be rescued, have your soul rescued from death. To be saved is to have your soul rescued from perishing. This is, this is how Jesus spoke. This is how Jesus talked and how He taught consistently. And so Jesus is, is pointing us to our need for salvation, our need for knowing that our soul perishes when we are separated from Him. But who needs to be saved? Aren't some people okay? Aren't, aren't a few people every now and then alright? No, according to all that we see in God's Word, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs salvation. Past, present, and future. Now, someone might say, ah, this is just those Christian scare tactics. You know? They're trying to get people to join the church so they can post their numbers somewhere on social media somewhere that things are going and people getting saved and baptized. That's, that's all this is about. A few months ago, we looked at these words from the richest and wisest man who ever lived on earth. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes. God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. See, you were born with a desire for eternity. You were born with a desire for everlasting life. You were born with a desire to live forever. You were born with a desire to not fall short. That's inside of you. You were created with that desire. Now, some people don't believe that, though, right? Some people say, ah, you die and just kind of slip off into some kind of unconscious state. Listen, you have the freedom to believe that. But if you believe that, if you hold to that, you are actually being unfaithful to your own soul. Because your own soul longs for life. Your own soul longs for joy and hope and peace. Your soul longs to not fall short. Your soul longs to not perish. That's the longing of your soul. You, you were created with that. So whether you're in this room or, or whether you're in a crowd of people 2,000 years ago raising your hand, this question is the question of life. Who will be saved? Who's going to be saved? How does Jesus answer the man's question? Listen to verse 23. And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. This is a fascinating response from Jesus. He kind of doesn't answer the guy's question. Right? I mean, the guy's asking for a number, and Jesus gives him a mirror. You know, it's, it's a loss here. He's saying, so, just a few people are going to be saved, Jesus? And Jesus kind of says, hey, are you saved? Are you saved? Where is your heart in this conversation? 
Jesus doesn't start crunching numbers with him. He didn't start talking to him about you know, cultural or, or religious philosophies on salvation. Jesus moves the direction. He steers him back from thinking of other people to thinking of himself. He steers him to the narrow door for him. But doesn't that kind of sound like bad evangelism? I mean, aren't we as Christians supposed to, to want other people to get saved? Aren't we supposed to be thinking about other people being saved? Well, sure, of course. But here's the thing. A true believer is saved, according to the Scriptures, to serve. So a, a true follower of Jesus is going to have a desire that other people might be saved. It's, it's going to be part of who they are. And a truly saved person is probably not going to come up to Jesus and say, Hey Jesus, so just a few people are going to get saved? I mean, I mean, besides me, of course, a few other people are going to be saved? I mean, Jesus, what's, what's the attendance going to be in heaven when we get there? So those don't sound like the questions of someone who's been redeemed. But Jesus redirects the conversation. He's moving it in a direction. And He's moving it toward the door. The door of eternity. And what's that door like? It's narrow. Too narrow for carry-on luggage, okay? Can't take anything with you. It's also too narrow for for most of the, the majority of the popular crowd of folks in the world. It's too narrow because... Either it's not cool enough, it's not big enough, it's not better enough, or on the flip side, there's way too much change. See, the kingdom of God through this door is strategic. See, a little narrow door is not good for most people in the world because it forces them out of where they are. They either have to move away from what is comfortable, or they have to move away from their passions and their desires. To go through this little narrow door, that really doesn't have a big sign about all the fantastic stuff surrounding it. Jesus spoke about this narrow door at another time too, and this is what He said. Matthew seven fourteen. For the gate is small... And the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Wait a minute. Isn't that what the guy's asking? Didn't he ask about the few? Maybe he was here that day. Maybe he heard Jesus talking about the few. And, and he's just trying to follow up. He's, he's wanting some clarification. Now you said the few. I, I'm just wanting to talk about the few. Maybe. Maybe. But before you start going to look for 144,000 of your Christian friends and start counting the numbers... Remember that God's math and our math are not the same. There is a huge, gigantic difference. Is everyone going to be saved? No. No, there will be people that reject Jesus to the last moment. Will there be a hefty group of people saved? Yeah. I mean, let's, just, let's just use current numbers, okay? There's about 7.5 billion people in the world right now. There is reportedly 2.2 billion people that profess to know Jesus. Let's just say half of them are just churchgoers. You know, they, they just go to church maybe Easter Sunday or maybe more than that. And let's just say that half of them profess Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They're not truly saved. So you still have 1.1 billion people that are following Jesus Christ. That does not sound like a few people. Do you see what just happened? We started talking numbers. And I think that's exactly why Jesus didn't talk numbers. 
Because what happens is we start looking at the digits and we forget the divine. We start focusing on the, on the details and we, we forget the glory of the gospel. We forget the glory of God. And so Jesus changes the conversation immediately. This man asks a question about how many people are going to get saved. And Jesus says, what about you? Have you stopped and, and looked at the narrow door? And Jesus said, because you have to strive to go through the narrow door. It, it takes energy. It takes focus. It takes purpose. Ever seen an Olympic athlete running the 100-yard dash carrying a toaster and a cappuccino machine? No. <laughs> because that, that wouldn't work. And so, so the word strive here is, is almost an Olympic athletic type of picture here. It means that, that we put everything else on the side and we put all of our energy and all of our focus in, in one direction. For a Christian, what that means is this, that the fix of your mind, the fix of your soul, the fix of your spirit is on Jesus and on following Jesus. That's the picture that he gives. He says, strive. Now, does that mean that we can save ourselves? If we strive hard enough to find that narrow door and we, we strive hard enough to push it open and strive hard enough to walk through, we can, we can make everything right for ourselves. Is that what Jesus means? No. No, you can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There is no other way. Only by the grace of God alone, through the, the faith that the Spirit provides alone, through the salvation that Jesus has purchased alone. But there is a, a picture of how we come to the salvation. And Jesus gives it in a very interesting way. Listen to what he says next in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Hmm. So, so people are going to try to get in the door, but, but they can't? I mean... That doesn't sound fair, right? I mean, why could they not get in the door? Why would they even be looking for the door, first of all? And then why could they not get in? Well, Jesus is going to unfold some answers to those questions. Listen to verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Jesus is really setting the scene for his listeners. He's saying there's, there's coming a day where God's going to close the narrow door. The door is, is going to shut. You won't be able to come to church next Sunday to hear the gospel. You won't be able to sneak in that last trip to the lake or the beach or the mountains before you finally get around to answering your neighbor's questions about Jesus. No, there's, there's coming a day where the door will shut. So don't harden your heart today because today could be the day. Now, is that a scare tactic? No, that is simply me repeating the words of Jesus. That there is a day that the door will shut. And why will the door shut? And why will they not be able to enter? Because the owner doesn't know them. He has no relationship with them. Imagine one night I go lock the front door of our house and I turn the deadbolt at, let's just say it's midnight. And then about 30 minutes later... I hear a, a knocking on the door. So I go to the front window and I peek out and there's like 50 or 60 people in my front yard with boxes of pizza and donuts and coolers. And there's some guy at the door knocking and says, hey man, we want to come in and hang out. 
and I don't know none of them. What am I going to do? I'm going to walk over the door and I'm going to say, Dude, I don't know you. You cannot come in. This is not a place that you can hang out. So if we as humans would do that, most of us, if somebody showed up at our house after midnight that we didn't know, then why would we think that God would be less wise? Well, this is the moment that some people would say, well, God should be more loving. God should be the one that that takes time to, to show love to people. And if He's more loving, then He would open the door. Jesus kind of responds to that question. Listen to what He says in verse 26. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. <laughs> so their response to Jesus saying that the door was going to be shut, and that the owner was not going to know who they were, they, they understood exactly what He meant. They said, well, Jesus, you know us. Remember you preached at the block party in our neighborhood. We, we had you over at our house afterwards for pizza. You, you remember us. We're, we're members over at Lily Liver Baptist Pentecostal Church of the Pretty Good Shepherd, and, and we've been there for years, and, and, and our neighbors are out here with us too. Now, our neighbors, they aren't Christians, Jesus, but, but they did come to the Christmas Eve service a couple of times, so come on, open up. You, you know us. You know who we are. In other words, what they were saying was, oh, no, we know the gospel. We, we, we understand. We, Jesus, we know everything that you ever taught. We know everything that you preached. We, we've got it. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you had the gospel, but you didn't have the gospel. You heard the gospel, but, but you don't possess the gospel. See, they, they knew about the narrow door, but they would not put down the cappuccino machine. They would not put down the toaster. They would not put down the pizza and the donuts and the cooler. They would not put down anything and turn and walk to the invited door. God has given an open invitation through His Son. And that invitation is to come. Come to me. Be saved and be satisfied. But people hear that invitation and some of them say, no, my house is more fun than your house, God. Some of them say, no, I'm not coming through that narrow door because there's just some other things that I want to do. And if I I come through that door, I won't get to do them. No, I'm not going to do that. Some people say, you know, I don't want to be bogged down with all those religious rules, so no, I'm not, I'm not going through that narrow door. Some people say, you know, I don't even believe this evidence about Jesus, so no, I'm not going through that narrow door. And some people say, look, I'm very comfortable at my church, and I don't want anything to change, so no, I'm not going through that narrow door. That invitation from God has been open for 2,000 plus years. That invitation has has never stopped. But there is coming a day where God will shut the door on that invitation. And the invitation will be no more. And on that day, those who keep rejecting Him will never enter the door. That's harsh. But that's Jesus. That's what Jesus says. That's how Jesus talks. Listen to what He says next. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There's a greeting card, right? Evildoers. Man, that's a strong word. 
What made them evildoers? They rejected the owner. They rejected the invitation. It wasn't just that they didn't show up on time. They, they heard the call. They, they rejected it. And so that changed their status. Now somebody might say, God, that just sounds so mean, so intolerant. Is 2,000 plus years of an open invitation, is that not tolerant? Is, is the fact that the door is still open right now, after so many years, is that not tolerant? I would dare say that you will never, in any capacity, find that kind of extreme patience, that kind of unwavering love, and that kind of long-suffering tolerance in any person, any philosophy, or any religion on the earth. It only comes from God. James said this about God, James 5, verse 11, The Lord is full of compassion, and He is merciful. Merciful. He's full of compassion. It just spills out of Him, and He's merciful. And after decades and centuries of compassion and mercy, there will come a day where the Lord will shut that door. And those who continue to reject Jesus will not enter. This is how Jesus would talk. This is how Jesus did talk. And you would think at this point in the conversation with this guy that asked the question that, that Jesus would dial it back a little bit. Bless that guy's heart. He doesn't. Listen to verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves being thrown out. Gosh, he, he, just, he just keeps hammering, right? This, this is a really sobering picture because, because this is a, a message to the super-religious people in the audience that day. Because here are these folks that, that were very committed church members. They were very committed tithers. They did really good works. And yet they rejected gospel. They rejected Jesus. And so Jesus says that they will have already gone through the other door, the wide door. And somehow they will still be able to catch a glimpse of the kingdom that they rejected. That is a hard picture. That's a sobering picture. And yet again, this, this is Jesus. This is how Jesus spoke. And I know some of you are thinking, golly, I'm glad I came to church today. Man, I've been wanting to be down and depressed all week long, but I couldn't do it. But Dow, you've done it for me. Thanks a lot, and I appreciate it. It is hard. It's difficult to hear. So here's the question. Is there any good news? Is there any good news in the middle of all of these hard statements from Jesus? Is there anything good? Yes. Yes. Here's what's good. The door is still open. That's the amazing news. The door is still open. It's good news and hard news. That's great news and difficult news. That's news that can still satisfy our souls. When every other door in your life closes or slams and hits you in the face, the door of the Gospel is open to you. For now. 
So while the door is open, if you have never entered, oh, friend, please enter. And if you have entered, then, then be of good cheer that this narrow door really does lead to life. Emily played a, a beautiful song for the offertory. I just want to read a portion of the words. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded. Anybody have that week? The weak and wounded week? Sick and sore. Anybody have that week? Come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Another verse. Come, you weary. Am I tired? Am I weary? I slept two hours last night. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm weary. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Give up your do good religion and turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus and, and live. Because if you tarry until you're better, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. This is how the chorus goes. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms. In the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. I don't even know what that means, and it sounds cool. 10,000 charms. Thousands upon thousands of reasons for me to love this Savior and not love this world so much that I would reject Him. Come. Arise and go to Jesus. Strive to enter the narrow door. It is the greatest call on your life. It's the greatest call on your life.